Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick. This is episode number 211 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc, where just this past week they put out two deluxe editions. They put out a deluxe edition of Tone Poems 2, which is Dog and Martin Taylor playing together. And they also put out a deluxe edition of Dog Duos, which is another killer album by the dog. So head on over there, pick them up, and while you're there, sign up for the email list, get a free treat of the week, and also check out Dog's podcast with Danny Barnes called Acoustic Encounters. It's also brought to you by the Charleston Bluegrass Festival. That takes place on March 29th and March 30th of this year. I'm super excited. Mandolins and Beer is actually hosting one of the stages. Stages are right next to each other. The main stage and then the Mandolins and Beer stage will be right next to each other. Some of the bands playing there, John Stickley Trio, Trey Wellington Band, Fireside Collective, Into the Fog, Tan and Sober Gentlemen. And I'll be hosting a super jam on Saturday night on the Mandolins and Beer stage, as well as playing with my band, New Ghost Town. You can camp out. It's pretty sweet. It's in a beautiful location, the Charleston Bluegrass Festival. Get tickets at the link below. How is everybody doing? Hope you're doing well. Boy, thank you so much to the people who have signed up for the Patreon so far. Don't forget the, the new book, 365 Project. Book one of four has come out. 91 licks. You can work on each lick 10 minutes a day. As you learn these licks, you build up solos. And it's also nice because you can learn some of these licks. Let's say you're in a song in A, you want to learn a lick over the D chord. You do that, and then you can drop that in on D chords and almost any song in A you play. So there you go. Then there's a whole bunch of lessons and things over there at my Patreon. So please, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do it there. There's multiple different levels. Every little bit helps. Thank you very much. I'm excited to have you listen to my guest this week, Teo Quayle. Boy, I um was blown away. I got to see them. The first IBMA I went to, they were playing and they were playing at the out, an outdoor stage when I saw them. And if if you could have counted the number of people who stopped and their jaws fell open as these kids were absolutely blowing people away and they just get better and better. You know, they uh, they won the Momentum Award at the IBMA this year. They're incredible. They're so nice. This, I mean, Teo took time out of his high school day. Uh, he had a break between classes, and he found a practice room to do this episode. And they got some great Nashville shows coming up, and uh, and Kentucky as well. So, Teo is incredible. Be sure to go out and purchase their stuff. I've got links below for all the songs that are listed. Go to their band camp. That's where you can find them. They get the dough. And yeah, let's get into the advertisers real quick. Peghead Nation with Peghead Nation streaming video courses and mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Peghead Nation has a great lineup of mandolin instructors. How about Sharon Gilchrist, who gets a shout-out in this episode? Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play the best part. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now. Get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com, use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. And Dan from Peghead Nation is at the uh, NAM convention out there in California, along with Northfield Mandolins. They're there. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at NorthfieldMandolins.com. Download their app at MandoSummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Tone Slabs! 
Tone Slabs gets a shout out in this episode as well. Frank and David making incredible picks. I am proud to be an endorsee of the Tone Slab picks. I've got my own mandolins of beer one with a signature on the back. It's got the uh, two kind of pointy edges, one rounded edge. I love it. It's the Darth Tone. You can get one any way you want. They, they make all sorts of sizes and shapes. They can customize them. And the customer service is fantastic. Go to Toneslabs.com. Tell them Daniel Patrick sent you. Hey, another person, uh, Kathy from Ellis Mandolins. Handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. Kathy's out there at the NAM convention as well. I wish I could have made it. I'm playing gigs. And I've been traveling a bunch too. Nashville two weeks ago. Detroit to watch my Detroit Lions uh, this past weekend. It was in the loudest indoor game ever. The loudest crowd at an indoor football game. It was unbelievable. Anyway, I digress. Well, I was up in Michigan. I wish I could have gone to Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're in their 51st year. They're award-winning. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide. You can visit them anytime at elderly.com. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Please, if you don't follow me on Instagram or Facebook, please uh, head on over there. If you haven't left a review yet on iTunes or Spotify, please leave a review there. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope everybody has a fantastic week. Cheers, everybody. All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast uh, part of the uh, 2023 IBMA Momentum Band of the Year, Crying Uncle Bluegrass Band, Teo Quail. How's it going, Teo? It's going pretty well. Thank you for having me. Dude, thank you so much for doing this. You're actually at school right now. That's right. I'm in a little practice room right now. Now, you go to a school that kind of focuses on musical education? That's right. I go to uh, OSA, Oakland School for the Arts, and... uh, it has a bunch of different sub pathways. One of them happens to be music, so lots of jazz there. Now, is that something you have to audition to get into? Uh, yeah, you have to audition. Um, you can either audition for middle school or high school, and it runs all the way through all those grades. So, so when did you? How old are you now? I'm seventeen. Seventeen. Um, wow, man! I first met you three years ago at IBMA, and yeah, that's right. And it was it was awesome and. Uh, the best part was um, Rick Ferris. We got a big jam together outside a little quiet spot, and Rick Ferris saw you warming up. He's like, "I'm going to get my guitar." <laughs> he's like, <laughs> "He's like, I'm not going to play mandolin." Well, Teo's playing mandolin. I'm like, "Oh, great!" <laughs> but it was incredible, man. And just, I mean, three years ago, you were, uh, you know, a great, great player. And you just, every time I see you, man, you just keep getting better and better. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, congrats on the 2023 IBMA Momentum Award for the band. That must have been pretty exciting. Yeah, it was really exciting. We were really honored to receive that award. Um, Yeah, it was really fun. And then you're going to be playing in uh, Nashville here in February coming up at the Station Inn. That's right. And then the Grand Ole Opry. 
That's right. Yep. And then after that, I think we're heading to um, Kentucky to play Bluegrass Hall of Fame. Are you really? Congr- oh my gosh, man! Congratulations. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. What's it like to? Uh, I mean, which one are you more nervous or and or excited about the Station Inn or the Opry? They're both pretty legendary. Oh man, I'm not sure. Probably the Opry, just because of the size of it. Yeah. Is that the biggest? Um, would that be the biggest show you guys have played thus far? I I believe so. It was probably the most prestigious, I'd say. Definitely. Yeah, I had the honor to play there once, I think, in 2019 with my brother. I was I was pretty nervous for that, so <laughs> I mean, my nerves aren't so bad this time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you were just a kid then, but you're, you're still kind of just a kid now. I mean, you're 17, you're almost an adult, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things. So, and then you guys put out an album last year, uh, 2022, I'm sorry, 2022 as well, which is fantastic. And you guys have quite a few albums out there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the most recent one was uh, The Thing of Dreams. Um, I believe there's like 10 or 11 tracks on that one. And I think we're planning on uh, um, starting to record a new new album maybe this year or the coming year. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. Um, um, what was really impressive, man, on on the on this last album is the compositions that you wrote. Uh, the first one being "Baba Black Sheep" that you composed with your brother. Yeah, that one was really cool. Um, I named it after my grandma, actually, because um, she's from Japan, uh, and we call her uh, Baba. And um, uh, when she left Japan to come to America, uh, some of her family was kind of mad at her, but her her father said, oh, it's okay. She's always been the black sheep of the family. So we kind of put those two together, Baba, black sheep, and then named it for her. How do you compose? What's your what's your process for for writing? Like, do you just jot or like you know record a bunch of ideas or you know what? what how does that work for you? Yeah, I don't really have a set process, but um, I usually have like some sort of idea of like how I want like the general feeling of the song to be, um, and then I just kind of noodle around for a while until I find something I like, and then kind of build off of that. Um, for that particular song. I think uh, me and my brother kind of separated it uh, into different parts. So I wrote the first and second part, and then he wrote the last part. So, yeah, I don't really have a set process, but I guess that would be kind of the way I would think about writing for the most part. How about Song for My Mother? Uh, that's kind of a funny story because um, I hadn't written, written a song in a while, and uh, I was like, shoot, I should probably write one. So I was I was actually in like a, my family's RV. I was just kind of noodling around in the... Uh, I had an idea, I just wanted like this repeating line, I guess, and then different chords over that same line. So that was my starting idea.
That one actually didn't take too long to write. Maybe like 30 minutes. <laughs> no kidding, the, really? That's right, yeah. Wow. It, and then I have to ask about um, Roaming with Homer. How did that one come up? Again, I wrote that one in our RV. Um, my family named the RV uh, Homer. And so since I wrote it inside the RV, I, I figured I'd kind of pay homage to um, John Hartford, but also kind of name it after my RV. So roaming with Homer is kind of where <laughs> I came from. So when did you pick up mandolin, man? Um, so I actually started with the fiddle when I was three. Um, and so I, I played that for a while, but my other brothers also play the fiddle. So I decided that I wanted to try something different. And then when I was eight, uh, I started taking with uh, Sharon Gilchrist. And it was a pretty easy transition just because of the strings, um, the similar strings and whatnot. Oh, Sharon, that's great. She um And she kind of, did she work with you on one of your albums too? Yeah, that's right. Um, the I think Crying Uncle's second album um she recorded uh she recorded a track with us along with chad manning and uh, i think keith little was on it too he keith little was our producer how did you become so uh engrossed in the mandolin because just watching you play like first time with jamming with you like even though you had probably been playing for hours at that point because at this point it's super late you know i'm not even sure what time it was it was definitely late <laughs> you know um but yeah. you were still just raring to go. And even when people were talking about what songs to pick next, like you were still like, it's just automatic in you to, <laughs> to keep playing. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how I really got super into the mandolin. Um, I guess it's just, I guess music has just kind of been a part of my life for like, I guess the entirety of my life. So I guess it's kind of been natural. Um, yeah, me and my brothers have been playing lots of like farmers markets since I was like six, five or six years old. So, um, yeah, that's how I kind of got into that. And then I kind of have a bad, like you mentioned, I kind of have a bad habit of noodling a lot. But, um, but yeah, yeah, that's really how I got into it. I wouldn't call it a bad habit. I was intrigued. <laughs> I was like, man, I, like it's just like it's just flowing through you. It it wasn't even like you were thinking about it. It was wild to watch, and it wasn't just like pedestrian stuff coming out of that instrument you know and again this is uh, 20 uh, whatever three years ago i guess 2021 was ibma you know so yeah. i i was i thought it was awesome and i was just like i gotta have this kid on the podcast eventually because i gotta pick his brain <laughs> i think so has your family always been into bluegrass slash acoustic sort of music um not really not until uh we started playing me and my brother started playing music um uh, my mom uh, is good friends, was, was good friends, well, still is, was and still is good friends with uh, Catherine and Chad Manning. Um, uh, Chad Manning's the David Grisman's fiddle player, and uh, they, they both run a fiddle studio out of uh, Berkeley, California called Manning Music. 
So uh, when I was around three years old, uh, my mom just took me there, and I've pretty much been playing ever since. Um, so that's kind of. But, but before that, my parents um, weren't super into the acoustic scene. Um, but yeah, that's how I got started, I guess. And your parent, your parents seem unbelievably supportive. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. My mom's kind of like my band's ma manager. Um, she helps us book all the gigs. Um, gets everything set up. My dad helps a lot with the sound, so they've definitely been um, big supporters of uh, our music. Yeah, and they're both so nice. Every time I see them, um, they're just two of the nicest, most sincere people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so proud. Like, I love watching them watching you guys, you know, because even though they've probably heard you <laughs> for thousands of hours, you know, you can still see the joy and the proudness that they, that they have of you guys. Yeah, I'm lucky to have them in my life. Yeah, that's great. So when you started, like, um, what was the first, like, mandolin player that you were really influenced by? And you were like, okay, I'm going to start just listening to this and trying to learn these tunes? Oh, man. Um, two mandolin players that I really loved, besides, obviously, my teacher, uh, Sharon Gilchrist, were um, David Grisman and Ronnie McCurry. Those two uh, stood out to me as a kid, and I really wanted to emulate some of my playing um, off, off of them. Um, so I'd say those two, Ronnie McCurry and um, David Grisman. Uh, and and the band also is I think my band Cry Uncle is heavily influenced by David Grisman as well. We play lots of his songs, try to write some some songs similar to his, and uh, take inspiration from his songs. Yeah, you guys, I've seen you guys do sixteen sixteen uh, a few times, and every time I'm just like, oh my gosh! And it's so fast, and yet the tones are still there, which is the toughest part, I think, of of playing fast is you know actually sounding good at the same time. And and you guys definitely pull it off. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, one of mine too. So you got turned on to Dog from Chad Manning, I'm guessing then. Yeah, yeah. That's I guess that uh, that, that was how it, it kind of happened. How about Ronnie McCurry? When did you first hear his playing? I think I think it was at the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley, California. Um, we just saw the Del McCurry band. And I, I really enjoyed his playing. So I guess that was the first time I really heard him. And uh, I really loved his playing. So. so what did, like, woodshedding, when you started taking it serious, I know you, you picked it up at eight. What, what age would you say you were like, okay, I'm I'm just gonna spend as much time as possible on this. Oh man, that's a tough question. I'm not I'm not entirely sure to be honest. I mean, um, I was I've always been kind of just playing. Um, I didn't really have like a there wasn't really really like a moment where I was like, oh, I think I'm just gonna dedicate my whole entire life to this. Um, I think it's just been kind of natural as as I got older. I just gradually started to play more and more, and uh, that's how I got to this point. I guess. So how about some of the stuff like obviously you get to a point where you've you kind of, you know, we all hit plateaus and different things like that. But I mean, listening to the playing, especially on this on this last album, I mean, you're playing some out stuff in in it's it's how do you learn those sort of things? Because it's not stuff that I, you know, like if somebody just sat down and learned, like, say, Ronnie McCurry, for instance, or, and even dog, you know, you've kind of taken that to another level. And what are some things that you've worked on? to kind of build your own style because you can hear the influences, but you could hear something completely different as well. 
Yeah, I, I, I think um, a big part of that is I try to learn different types of music. Like I play lots of jazz, um, learned a bit of uh, Brazilian choro, um, and just kind of just trying to expand my musical repertoire, I guess. Um, I think that really helps me incorporate some of the stuff I learned from different styles into my bluegrass playing as well. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's what I love the that you throw it in the bluegrass playing. That's really, really, it blows my mind and, you know, just really makes it sound fresh. Thanks, man. For sure. So when you sit down, let's say, with like a jazz song or a choro song, you learn that and then you're going to work on soloing over it. How do you approach that? Do you look at the chords and think about chord tones? Do you learn different scales and... So how do you approach like a like a shoro or a jazz song when you sit down to build a solo around it? Um, oftentimes, uh, especially during like jazz songs, if there's like some weird chord progression that I'm not really sure how to approach, I'll um, I'll look for different recordings of that song and transcribe some solos, get some ideas, and after that, I really just try to improvise over it. Um, lots of arpeggio stuff. I try to play different arpeggios of different of the different chords and try to connect them in different ways. Um, but yeah, I would say lots of transcriptions. That That's helping me a lot with my jazz playing, just learning the language. And to be honest, just playing a lot of jazz as well um, in general. Who are some of the guys that you listen to jazz-wise? Or are there a couple players that you automatically see if they have a version of a song that you're learning? Um, one of my favorite jazz musicians would probably be Pat Metheny. I love lots of his lots of his songs, lots of his playing. He's so good, man. Yeah, and I uh, I I recently actually got to see him at the Fred and Salvage um, a few months ago. He was doing his like uh, his his solo thing, lots of solo guitar. He brought this like super weird contraption at the end. Uh, it's like a bunch of percussion instruments. It was, it was, I can't really describe it. You have to see it. It's pretty cool. I think he's coming here uh, maybe next month even. February? Oh, nice. Or March. Yeah, so Yeah, I would love to do that. He blows my mind. Yeah, he's amazing. So when's the first time that you got to meet Dog? Um, I've, I believe at the Manning Music Studio, he, was, he actually did a workshop. I was probably eight or nine. So pretty soon after I started playing mandolin, I got to meet him for the first time. Um, and that actually might have been the first time I heard him play, um, during like one of those workshops and, uh, ever since I've loved his playing. Yeah. Have you got to uh, jam with him like a few times? Yeah. Yeah. I've got to jam with him a few times. I had the privilege of, um, taking a lesson with him. Um, I would want to say four or five years back and gave me a lot of useful things. Um, very generous. Oh, dude, let's, let's. Let's hear a little bit about that lesson. What kind of stuff did you pick up from that? That's that's incredible. Yeah, he showed me a few of his songs, um, which was really cool. He most it was he taught me lots of different concepts about music. Time, um, uh, there's this one one thing he said. He said, uh, "What was it? I'm trying to remember it?" Um, shoot, uh, oh man, I can't I can't remember. But he was talking about lots of space, like to leave leave space. Because at that time, I was kind of just kind of, I guess, trying to shred as much as possible. And he, <laughs> he told me, that's good, but you also need to leave a little more space. And so I, that's, that's one thing I really took out of the lesson with him. And is that, um, let, let's talk a little bit about your uh, main instrument as well, your uh, Jacques Amel. Yeah, yeah, it's, my, it's, it's, it's amazing. He, uh, 
Uh, I got it from David. Um, he, I think a couple of years back, I think right before the pandemic, I think he heard that I was uh, looking for a mandolin. So he gave me a, di- a few different Jocomels to try. And um, the one I, the one that I ended up buying was, is amazing. And uh, really excited about it. I was uh, actually supposed to, when my band played in La Roche, uh, the La Roche Bluegrass Festival um, last summer, I want to say. And, uh, since we are there, I was supposed to go to Italy to meet Dacomel, but unfortunately I got COVID, so I couldn't. But my brother got to meet him. Oh, man, what a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you guys you guys travel quite a bit as well. Yeah, yeah, fairly often. Um, it's one of the reasons why I go to this school because they're very lenient about me missing school. <laughs> How many countries have you played in? Do you know? Do you have any idea off the top of your head? Uh, I got to think about that. So we, in 2019, we went to Finland. And then more recently, France and Japan. And we've played cruises that have stopped in Mexico, but I don't know if that counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. How do you find the the audience's reception to the style of music that you're playing? I mean, I'm a, are they all festivals or are you going there sometimes and just kind of playing gigs as well? So for um, France, that was just one festival, La Roche Bluegrass Festival. So everybody was kind of already expecting bluegrass. Um, but uh, some of the other ones, like, uh, for example, Finland, um, we played a bunch of different um, venues, some smaller gigs, some festivals, and... I think they connected with bluegrass just because they have a very strong tradition of like folk music there as well, lots of uh, fiddle fiddle music. Um, so it was kind of similar in that way. And uh, Japan as well, uh, there's a good bluegrass community there. We play lots of like the different clubs there um, that are known, I guess, for bluegrass. So I'd say it, it, the bluegrass was received pretty well throughout each country. Do you have a uh, like a set structured kind of practice time? Yeah, I don't. I don't have a set schedule or routine that I really follow. Um, it's mostly like either what I'm feel, feel feeling like that day, or if I have to practice something for a specific gig. Um, so if I'm just practicing for myself, I might maybe transcribe something, um, or maybe write write a song or something like that, um, or just work on technique in general, like picking. Um, left-hand stuff as well. Um, but if I'm preparing for a gig, lots of it is learning material, um, different songs, and then just kind of getting those down tight. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have, a, I have a, like a specific practice routine that I follow every day, but uh, there's a few things I try to, try to get done. When you're, let's say, you have to learn a new song, do you have a way you like to approach it before you start playing, or do you start playing along with it right, right from the get-go? Um, usually I, I'm in the car lots of the day, so if I know I need to learn a song, I'll just play on repeat a bunch of times in the car, just get in my head a few times. Um, and then once I get home, I'll, uh, I'll just start trying to pick it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great, man. Do you, when you write out and transcribe the songs, do you, do you write it in tab or do you write it in standard notation? Uh, to be honest, uh, I don't, I, I get kind of lazy, so I don't even write it out. I usually just try to learn it. Oh, do you then, really? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I used to, I used to write it out a bit more, but 
recently I've gone a bit lazy with that, so I've been just kind of learning <laughs> learning descriptions and then just trying to memorize it from memory. Do you remember the first dog tune that you learned? Um, I think it was Pup Phil. was probably the first one I learned. Pup fill or dog patch? I can't remember. I, I learned both of those in the same time frame, I believe. Yeah. And that was that was for um, this little tour that I did with some of my music teachers, uh, the Claridge's, Tristan and Tashina Claridge. Um, they took me and a bunch of their other students like on a bus throughout California and we played different shows. Um, that was I was I was a bit younger than I was maybe ten or eleven, I'd say. And that those two songs are the two dog tunes that I prepared for that little mini tour. It's so wild to to just think how long you have been playing. You know, you're only 17 years old, but like just the amount of playing, not just playing an instrument, but the amount of actual traveling and playing for people, which is kind of like an invaluable resource that that, um, you know, not a lot of people um, you know, get to have that. I mean, that's a whole nother level of playing when you're actually performing as opposed to sitting down and just playing and learning tunes and working on tunes. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely lucky to be able to have experienced all of that. And I think more, I think, I think that's where I really improved as a musician, even more than individual practicing, just getting those different experiences. I think that's where I learned the most about music in general. Yeah, one of the uh, things I was talking with your dad about at IBMA is just how absolutely fearless you are when you take solos, man. Like, and he said you've been like that your whole life. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I- I've never worried too much about when I'm playing. Um, never worry, worry too much about making mistakes. I like to try new things, so um, I think that's helped in my development. How much how much rehearsing had you guys done as the band? Obviously, you played with your brother, and now you have a you have a new a new guitar player. Was was he was not on the last album, or was he on the last album? Uh, no, he was not on the last album. He uh, he joined us a couple months ago officially. We have Ian Lee, so yeah, we're 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 really lucky to have him. He's a great guitar player. Yeah, didn't he just win? Was it Winfield? Yeah, Winfield. He just he he, he won Winfield. I think he won Winfield pretty. Uh, Pretty soon before, or soon after he won Winfield, I think he joined the band. I mean, there's so much firepower in the band. We should mention your brother Miles too, who is just a just a phenomenal fiddle player too. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, has he has he taught you some things as well? Like, what are some things that that you know that you've 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 gleaned from him from like maybe a more fiddle side after you kind of stopped playing fiddle and moved to mandolin? Yeah, well, he was he's my big brother, so he's always kind of been. Uh, I've always played with him. Uh, as a kid, I was always trying to catch up to him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, yeah, we. I think I've learned just a lot just from playing with him um, my whole life. I I don't know if there's anything specifically I can think of. Um, 
But yeah, he always makes fun of my fiddle playing because he says I play fiddle like a mandolin player. I don't, <laughs> I'm slurring my notes. It's all single notes. <laughs> you say, well, I am a mandolin player. <laughs> <laughs> what, would you, uh, what would you go back and tell young Teo if you were to give him advice on mandolin? You know, if you were to go back in a time machine, what would you tell him to work on that would have helped you? I would probably say... I would probably try to expand uh, my musical repertoire a bit earlier because I really didn't get into different types of music until I was maybe 14 or 15. But I feel like if I had maybe maybe explored more when I was younger, uh, uh, it could have benefited me even more. What made you want to explore different styles when you finally did get to 14 and 15? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, my grandpa, he was a jazz pianist, so I've always been kind of interested. I was always interested in learning something like jazz or some some other style similar to that. Um, but I don't really know what really made me um, want to start. Want to actually start it uh, when I was fourteen or fifteen. I do remember uh, my. I think the first my first jazz experience was. Uh, was when I joined this program called Oaktown Jazz, based out of Oakland. It's a, kind of like a after-school program, um, and it's like a, it's you just, they just teach you jazz. Basically, you're in like um, you're in a band setting, um, play different songs, and that's kind of how I got introduced. Now you play guitar too when you do some of the jazz stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I play lots of I play lots of jazz guitar at the school I go to. Um, so that's 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 mainly why I do on guitar. I play a bit of bluegrass too with uh, my my little brother in his band, um, who's feeling young now. But for the most part, it's usually jazz guitar. Yeah. How old is your youngest brother? Uh, he's fourteen, almost fifteen. Okay. And he played uh, in that IBMA All Stars band, like the really young group of kids at the awards a few years ago, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, he was there. He was playing. Such a talented family, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's so cool to see. You also do. You also do um, martial arts. Yeah, um, me and my older brother, we both do judo. Um, I've been really getting into it uh, in recent months. Um, I we started when we were little kids. I would say about five or six, or maybe even younger. But we we both stopped for. I'd say like ten years, and then more recently, we've been getting back more, uh, getting back into it more. Uh, so yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, that's cool. Watch those fingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's why I won't worry. I gotta start taping them. Now, do you think um, any of that? Do you do you think that either of those like intertwine or help the other with like focus or anything like that, or do you think they're pretty separate entities for you? Um, I think. I think it, I think they help each other. I think just learning how to learn some some new skill definitely um, is a skill within itself. Um, so yeah, I think whatever whatever you learn, I think it kind of just helps you in general, uh, just because you you learn how to pick up new skills easier. Um, so I've been trying to do that with judo a bit more, and uh, yeah, and there's like an improvising element to judo as well. Um, Different different combinations you can do. It's really action reaction, so it's similar to music in that way. Speaking of learning new things, how do you um, when you 
hit a roadblock on working on something, being it transcribing a tune or trying to come up with a solo? Like, what are some ways that you kind of cope with the frustration of trying to pick up some stuff, especially because a lot of the stuff that you're working on is is pretty advanced stuff. If I'm if I'm kind of getting frustrated, I'm not really getting anywhere in like a practice session. I usually just either I'll take a break or maybe I'll just even sleep on it and try to come back to it the next day. I try not to get too worked up worked up about um, about anything uh, practice related. Um, and yeah, I think usually it works out after I take a little break. You mentioned uh, left-hand technique as uh, working on that. You know, a lot of people talk a lot about the right-hand technique on here. <laughs> yeah, that too. What are some tips that you would give to somebody who's trying to um, work on their left hand a little bit more? Yeah, I'd say I do – like lots of arpeggio work is always great. It just helps you kind of see like the different parts of the fretboard. Um and uh, I don't do too many scales, at least not just up and down. Uh, I do. I like to do scales in different combinations. Um, I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it with words. But if I had a mandolin, I could, could I could kind of show it better. But um, yeah, doing scales in more like interesting and fun ways, I'd say, is is more beneficial than just going up and down. Um, Stuff like that. I think I already mentioned this, but I like to do lots of like arpeggios over like a chord progression of a song that I want to um, learn. Just to help me just see where everything's at, I guess. Producer's note, uh, Teo took the time to actually film a video of this and send it along. And I'm playing the audio right here. I'm going to see if I'm able to embed it at mandolinsandbeer.com so you can check it out. Uh, and if not, I'll have it on my Patreon, and I'll have it so anybody can just go ahead and watch the video clip if you are a patron or not. Here's the uh, audio, though. Like I was talking about with the scales and arpeggios, there's different ways to practicing both. Um, for example, with like a D major scale, instead of just instead of going straight up and down the scale, you can mix up like you can make different patterns out of a uh, D major scale, for example. In terms of arpeggios, I like to arpe uh, I like to practice arpeggios um, in like context, I guess. Like for example, if I have like a just like a one four five one progression, um, I go in D. And uh, one thing I like to do is try to find notes in each arpeggio that are close to uh, notes in the other arpeggio. For example, D to G. This F sharp is close to G, which is in the G arpeggio. So stuff like that, that's kind of how I like to practice my skills in arpeggios. What kind of, uh, what about strings and picks? Do you, uh, do you have a, the same thing that you use all the time now? Do you still experiment a bit? What, what do yeah, you recently use? I've been using uh, Frank Sullivan's uh, Tone Slabs. Yeah, man. Um, those tips, those are, it, I'm, I'm loving it so far. I've been using it for a few months now. Um, before that, I was using a blue chip, but I'm really enjoying the tone slabs. What uh, size? What size and shape do you use? I'm, I'm actually not sure. I, I I don't know what the specific model was. Um, I actually I got I actually got it from Frank uh, during IBMA. Okay. Is it like the bigger triangle or is it a? Uh... It's it's uh, 
I believe it has kind of roundish edges, um, not super pointy, like three roundish edges. Um, but I'm not sure the exact models which of uh, my pick. Yeah, he's uh, those guys are great, man. Yeah, yeah, those picks are amazing. Um, in terms of strings, I I don't really have a specific um, brand that I always go to. Uh, I mean, Diodario, uh, classic one. I use that a lot. Um, I think usually I use medium gauge strings, but I don't. I, I to be honest, I, I don't. I don't think about the strings too much. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. And you guys always play into uh, mics. Yeah. So um, what we've done traditionally has been just mostly uh, one one uh, one condenser mic uh, for all the singing and fiddling, um, and then two kind of satellite. Uh, mics for the guitar and the mandolin. But recently, more recently, for bigger shows, we've been plugging in, just because it seems a bit easier. Um, especially hearing the guitar, it's a lot easier if we plug in. Um, so we've been experimenting with that recently. Oh wow, cool! Uh, still having yeah, and yeah. So it's it's kind of changing a bit. How do you feel about plugging in versus the mic? I, I like plugging in. It's it's definitely a lot more convenient in terms of like sound check and that kind of thing the obviously the tone's not quite as good when you plug in um it's always better if you have a mic but uh i think i can move around more if i wouldn't be plugged in that, that's one benefit of it but i think it just depends on what show i'm playing and kind of adjusting to that show Let's do a couple more questions here for you because I know you've just got this little bit of break before you have to go to class. But I, man, I just really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to put this into your day, dude. It's it's awesome. Hey, man, thank you for having me again. Oh, of course. So, if you were to give um, a tip, I'd like to ask people: if you only had ten minutes a day to work on something, what would you work on? Yeah, I'd probably do a few minutes of just kind of technique work, maybe um, some stuff with a pick, some picking exercises couple of arpeggio scale stuff to warm up and that would probably take four minutes and the remaining six minutes oh man i'm not sure uh maybe let me learn try to learn a new song or uh try to learn as part of a solo just get something started i guess yeah and obviously uh you can't drink beer so i have a backup question for uh for just such an occasion and do you have a favorite fiddle tune to play favorite fiddle tune hmm. red prairie dawn is something that i've been enjoyed enjoy, enjoying playing recently um that one's great Matt. Well, Teo, thank you so much. Where's the best place for everybody to keep up with you online? Um, so my band has a Instagram, a Facebook, just Crying Uncle. And my personal Instagram account for music is just Teo Coil Music, I believe. Um, yeah, so those are the kind of two I guess, social media platforms I'm, I'm, I'm on. 
um, that's pretty much it. And, and you know what? One more question. If you had one Pat Metheny tune for people that you would say, you got to listen to this song, what, uh, what would you pick? I mean, have you heard? I know that's one of his more popular ones. Or actually, James. That's probably my favorite Pat Metheny song. Thanks for taking time, dude. Uh, go ahead and get back to <laughs> get back to class here pretty soon and and relax. But man, I really appreciate it. Your your playing really inspires me, and it really makes me happy to see um, someone who's just uh, you know taken to the instrument and and finding your own voice with all these influences. I'm so excited to watch um, you know the future for you. It's it's exciting to to think about. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah, anytime, buddy. Thank you, Tao. Yeah, have a good day, man. You too. All right, thank you so much to Tao for doing the podcast. Thank you to everybody who listens. Once again, if you want to head over and support the podcast over at the Patreon, that would be awesome. There's all sorts of different levels, and you can get the uh, book number one in the 365 Project. Start learning a lick a day and uh, some solos as, as well as you're going about it. Hope you all have a great weekend. Cheers, everybody.